do in time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Do and Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and Peter and I are both hosting the show and we'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Um, today's show is going to be quite a low-key show. It's, it's, we're doing a lot of work around First Nations people, Aboriginal deaths in custody, prison abolition and some of the issues and, and challenges that Aboriginal women face in the prison system. Um, at 4.30, we're going to be interviewing Tabitha, who is a very strong um, Indigenous activist, and we're going to be speaking with her. She's from Adelaide, and she'll speak about what land she's on and talk about what's, what's happened to her in prison. She's given permission um, to speak about her lived experience of prison, and she'll talk about what she and the sisters um, have gone through in prison. Yeah. So while we wait, we're waiting for that interview, um, we don't have any other interviews, but we do have some articles. Um, and I'm hoping that Peter will, will also bring you some music as well. Yeah, I'll play some now if you want. Absolutely. All right, um, this is a Rivers of Tears, you know, um, what's his name? Kev, Kev Carmody. Kev Carmody's song, but it's the drones doing it. Oh, beautiful. It's a cover song. It's a cover of it. So it's, oh, that'll be interesting. interesting. Good. I haven't heard it. Okay. Well, there's a cold rain on the autumn wind A brother murdered in Sydney town A Marrickville brother under legal cover In his home they gunned him down Say, oh, yeah, they shut him down. Well, they took him out at point blank range in his home with a small young son. They shot him dead in his Marrickville bed with a pump action 12 gauge shotgun. Inside the camp, but with the shotguns and the stun 
Texas to drop you where you stand Singing oh, Yeah, that shoots you down A sad river of tears Two hundred years And a river of fear It shoots you down A sad river of tears Two hundred years And a river of In a river of fear It shoots you down A sad river of tears Two hundred years In a river of fear It shoots you down A sad river of tears Two hundred years In a river of Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam Mine, there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kulta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. Yo, frog and lizard, I really know the mining company's gotta go. The lizard returns protestival 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. And you're with... Free CR 855 AM, and this is the Doing Time show with Peter and Marissa. Indeed and it is. Robert's out doing the tech stuff. Absolutely. Hi, Rob. <laughs> A shout out to Rob. Anyway, uh, coming up now, I'm going to be reading you an article from Mercury, and this particular article is, is very personal to the Doing Time show, actually, because it's about Vicky Roach, and Vicky is... A great person. She's a, an Aboriginal activist, writer, and poet, and has also been in prison. And there's an article here from Mercury about domestic violence. So I'll just read this out, and we'll be reading a few articles and doing some music. Pretty cruisy show up until we speak with Tabitha at four thirty. Oh, sorry, everyone. Um, there might be a bit of a trigger warning for people because it's always good to tell people. Absolutely, yeah. and yeah. a bit of a language warning. Yeah. Um, with the music, but yes, yeah, so there may be a trigger warning with um, the domestic violence article, and uh, yeah, and see how we go. Domestic violence survivor highlights the need for an Illawarra Women's Trauma Recovery Centre, and it's by Lisa Watsuth. Road to recovery is the heading. Life of trauma. Vicky Roach has spent many of her sixty years in and out of prison and suffering through domestic and family violence relationships. She is now an advocate for others. Um, life of trauma. Vicky Roach has spent many of her 60 years in and out of prison and suffering through domestic and family violence relationships. She is now an advocate for others. Once used by others to control and to hurt her, today Vicky Roach's long greying hair is a symbol of her strength and resilience. The proud Aboriginal woman has not cut her hair in decades, in defiance of the strict foster mother who used to chop it off as punishment and the men who later used her long mane to inflict pain on her, to hold her down and drag her around by it. Born to a stolen generation's mother and then taken herself and sent to live with a strict religious family in Sydney's western suburbs, Vicky became a runaway at nine, a heroin user by 14, and eventually turned to prostitution to stay alive on the streets of King's Cross. 
She spent much of her 60 years in and out of prison and violent relationships. Between 1976 and 2003, she had 125 convictions or findings of guilt made against her, but when released for the last time in 2008, felt she'd finally managed to break free of the system. So many women describe these relationships as like walking on eggshells, and that's exactly what it's like. But it was while she was imprisoned in Victoria that she gained a master's degree and 2007 national notoriety for her role in a groundbreaking legal challenge to the High Court which returned the right to vote to prisoners, serving less than three years. Vicky has since carried on her advocacy work for change in the criminal justice system. She's also become a passionate advocate for women experiencing domestic and family violence. I've experienced physical abuse, verbal abuse, every kind of abuse you could imagine from men that I thought loved me, she says. The father of my only child knew the domestic violence handbook chapter and verse. The isolation, the constant put-downs, the total destruction of your self-esteem and your personality. So many women describe these relationships as like walking on eggshells and that's exactly what it's like. You don't speak because you're afraid that anything you say might be the wrong thing the thing that makes them turn violent, and you just can't sustain a life like that. Life of trauma. Vicky Roach has spent many of her 60 years in and out of prison and suffering through domestic and family violence relationships. She is now an advocate for others. Vicky Roach, um, sorry, I'll just skip through that because it's a little bit repetitive here, but you get the gist of it, and I'll just go on. Vicky's former partner was able to inflict more pain more pain during the relationship breakdown and through a vicious custody battle where he managed to get custody of their son. The now Wollongong woman says she was warned at the women's refuge that took her in at the time that she was at risk of falling into a relationship with the same kind of man, and she did. This time she nearly lost her life. I had broken bones. He smashed my front, my front teeth out. I lost a piece of my ear. He'd use his fists or kick with, with his big biker boots, she says. Then he started holding me captive. He'd padlock me in a room with a chain while he went while he went to work so he could beat me up when he came home. The last time he tied me up with jumper leads and cut my clothes off with a knife. At that point, I re- relaxed as I just thought he was going to rape me, but he didn't. He beat the living shit out of me. The thing with trauma is it, c- it can be lifelong, says Vicky. It takes a lot of unpacking. Vicky also says, the thing with trauma is it can be lifelong. It takes a lot of unpacking. Then he rolled me out in a sheet and took me outside and tried to put me in the boot of his car. I thought he was going to take me somewhere, finish me off and dump my body. But someone must have seen and rung the cops. They turned up while he was still trying to get me in the boot. The man wasn't jailed for his crimes against her, but she managed to leave by taking refuge overseas for a time. Um, so Vicky wants a, tra- a trauma centre built in Wollongong. In recent years, Vicky says in her wry way that her endearing, with her endearing throaty chuckle, she's worked to address the trauma through counselling. The thing with trauma is it can, it can be lifelong. It takes a lot of unpacking and you need to be in a safe space to do that unpacking. That's why she's one of many supporting the Illawarra Women's Health Centre in its bid to establish an Australian first domestic and family violence trauma recovery centre. On average, at least one woman a week is killed by a partner or former partner in Australia, with one in three experiencing physical violence since the age of 15. The vast majority of dangerous, abusive and violent behaviour that occurs in people's homes is committed by men against women. Lives lost. The cycle of domestic violence must end, says Illawarra Women's Health Centre GM Sally Stevenson. Um, Sorry, here we go. In the Illawarra, in the 12 weeks to the end of January, police from Wollongong and Lake Illawarra commands were called to almost 2,000 incidents of domestic violence. More than 580 were physical assaults, over 185 were breaches of apprehended violence orders and around 120 were for intimidation. Illawarra Women's Health Centre General Manager Sally Stevenson says DVF can have a serious impact on the long-term health of women and children. 
Research shows that left untreated, the traumatic consequences of DVF can have a lifelong physical and mental health impact, including increased rates of drug and alcohol use, heart disease, acquired brain injury, depression, suicide and chronic pain, she said. It is a complex issue. Whilst there are many crisis intervention services, there is increasing recognition of the need for DFV services to go beyond this and address the ongoing impact of trauma, particularly in terms of the mental health, emotional and psychosocial needs of women and their families. Miss Stevenson said women recovering from post-traumatic stress disorder caused by DFV may require a range of support services, including counselling, parenting, financial and legal support. These services are most efficiently and effectively provided in one safe place from a case-managed team of professionals, she said, and yet this is currently not available anywhere. There is nowhere in the public health system or across the community service sector where women can access integrated, comprehensive, long-term support to recover from the health impact of this violence. There is a limited range of short-term programs provided by different services, government and non-government, which are largely siloed and only available piecemeal to women, often at different times, depending on the waiting lists and their capacity to pay for services. This makes us incredibly difficult makes it incredibly difficult for women to coordinate services, to have timely access to resources, as well as being extremely stressful, which only exacerbates the trauma many women are struggling to cope with. An integrated Illawarra Women's Trauma Recovery Centre would fill the gap. The centre has the potential to be a circuit breaker not only in an individual woman's life, but also for governments seeking to support a common-sense, cost-saving and compassionate service response. After three years, we expect to demonstrate the model is both cost-effective and and efficacious and can be rolled out across Australia. It is a unique, innovative and necessary proposal. So, yeah, pick up Saturday's paper to read more on the Illawarra Mercury's Road to Recovery campaign. And that's the end of that article. It's approximately 4.17. And we read this article out so that um, the Do and Time show could not only honour Vicky, but also honour um, women experiencing domestic violence. And, and of course, we honour the survivors. And also, in, in a way, it is a continuation of the femicide Indigenous femicide interview that we did with Bronwyn Carlson um, mm. some weeks ago now. And also, just to reiterate um, that the Do and Time show has zero tolerance um, for any any phone calls at all coming into the station from men who are, who are disgruntled or are in denial. We are very happy for men to contact us. We, are not, we do not hate men. And if they wish to comment, they can do it constructively or don't ring at all. It's approximately 4.17, as I said. And we're going to be speaking shortly with Tabitha, who will speak to us um, about her lived experience of prison as an Aboriginal woman. And just to have a bit of a break, because it is kind of a bit of sour type of listening, but necessary. Um, Peter, I believe you've got some more music. Yeah, I'll play um, Dark Side by um, Tex, Tex, per- <laughs> Tex Perkins. Sorry, Tex I was Perkins? just laughing because you said dark um, something sour, and now I'm playing a song, <laughs> song called Dark Side. What's it called? Dark Side? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Cool. We'll put that on. Chocolates, roses, kisses, it's to hide. To copulate. Most males after bribe Warm fuzzies, gentle care Expensive cars, pubic hair Parties, alcohol, domestic fights and incest Adolescent, hot, fast, messy sex the south side on the dark side south of the freeway those Logan kids used to hang out at that rooster and ribs fast food, junk food foul food, chunder 
McDonald's, Kentucky Rail Line Thunder Tavern Drive-In You buy the piss That grub we flog They'll never miss Poor behind square one It's hard to start We'll take a five-finger discount came out on the south side on the dark side south of the freeway those Logan kids used to hang out at that trashed out rooster and ribs fish smell cabana burnt out shell Rooster and ribs is a scene from hell. Broken plaster, fibro, power cords hanging down from the burnout boards. Dope and drugs keep you stable. While couples screw on the table. On the south side On the dark side South of the freeway Those Logan kids used to Hang out at that trashed out Rooster and ribs Most nights you screw or fight Girlfriends, boyfriends Use the night Hide their reality From society It's the only place We'll feel free Moans, smashed glass Trashed out spew Same shit old smell Ratchet view On the south side dark side south of the freeway those Logan kids used to hang out at that trashed out rooster and ribs graffiti neon cut the night there's a blue light flashing and a red hot spotlight Siren wailing, squealing tires It's time to change in an overdrive They got battens, handcuffs, and they're carrying guns The cops have arrived, it's time to run The south side, the dark side South of the freeway, those Logan kids used to hang out at that trashed out rooster and ribs. On the south side. South of the freeway, those Logan kids still hanging out at that trashed out rooster and ribs. with the Doing Time show and that was a very different song by Tex Perkins. Always good to just have a bit of a break, isn't it? So the next article that I'm going to be reading leading up to the interview with Tabitha, in case people have just tuned in, this is the Doing Time show and we're going to be listening to it with an interview with Tabitha at 4.30 and she's going to be speaking about the lived experience of prison as an Aboriginal woman. But in the meantime, while we, while we wait for Tabitha, She's actually getting the bus home at the moment um, from a class. And the heading here, the uh, sorry, the paper that it's from or the publication is The Women's Agenda. 
and it's about Debbie Kilroy. How Debbie Kilroy achieves change for women and girls in the criminal legal system. Now, I might not be able to, to read this whole article, so this may be an edited version. Debbie Kilroy is the, the CEO of Sisters Inside and one of Australia's leading advocates for the human rights of women and girls in the criminal legal system. Debbie is the second woman to feature in Denise Shrivel's new monthly Q&A series in which she speaks with women who are making an impact on an important issue. The aim is to inspire more of us to see what's possible on getting involved in issues and causes we care about. Denise is very active on Twitter in the Ospor community and you can follow her on, on Twitter. What is your role and what do you actually do? That's how the interview starts. As CEO of Sisters Inside in Queensland, I lead our individual and systemic advocacy, says Debbie. And she continues, Sisters Inside exists to advocate for the human rights of women and girls in the criminal legal system and their children. We also provide services in response to the unmet human rights and needs of criminalised women in Queensland. I actively work towards dismantling the prison industrial complex. Much of my day-to-day work involves public advocacy on issues affecting criminalised women, mainly focused on highlighting the fundamental injustice and racism of the so-called criminal justice system. Because Sisters is the largest organisation in this space in Australia, I also contribute alongside like-minded organisations to lobbying in other states and territories nationally and internationally. Sisters Inside has NGO consultative status at the United Nations. So at the United Nations, the organisations in other countries to address the massive and growing over-imprisonment of women and girls of minor, for, no, for minor non-violent offences worldwide. Sisters Inside is driven by the principle, nothing about us without us. So wherever I travel, much of my time is spent engaging with criminalised women and girls. I am guided by the perceptions, priorities and needs of these women and girls in everything I do. How did your interest in community engagement start? And Debbie says, I have a substantial criminal history. I spent over 20 years in and out of... in and out of children and women's prisons in Queensland. During my last sentence, I became involved in prisoner advisory groups and for the first time realised that I could have a voice and contribute to improving the situation of myself and other women prisoners. Upon leaving prison, I promised the other women that I would continue to address the injustices and violence they experienced on a daily basis. As soon as I was released, I began developing Sisters Inside with the women in prison. What is your main focus right now? And Debbie says, all my work is driven by abolition, though decarceration strategies to reduce the number of women and girls in prisons. The rate of imprisonment for women and girls, particularly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and girls, has grown exponentially over the past couple of decades. When I was last in prison, 1989 to 1992, there were a total of about 100 women in prison in Queensland. Now there are approximately 1,000 women Um 1,000 women on any one day. Most are in prison due to poverty and or trauma. Approximately 40% nationally are on remand. They are usually refused bail due to homelessness or lack of rehabilitation or mental health services. In other words, these women and girls are imprisoned for failures of the state to meet their basic human rights. I'm also particularly supporting an emerging campaign to address missing and murdered Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and girls. We know that Nationally, First Nations women are murdered at five times the rate of other women. Most Australian states and territories don't bother counting the number of missing First Nations women and girls. However, the evidence available suggests that the rate at which First Nation women are missing is at least three times the rate of other women. How do you believe women can have a positive impact in this space? Being very pragmatic, it's not in men's interest to address issues affecting women. The sisters must do it for themselves. To quote well-worn lyrics, it is only through working together to address the issues affecting the most vulnerable and marginalised women that we can build a society which is better for all women. And perhaps we better break up this article. Um, I may not be able to finish it. Um, We're actually trying to get on to Tabitha at the moment. It's approximately 4.29. And Peter, perhaps you could take us through an announcement and see what's going on. Yep. 
3CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Uh, and you're back with the Doing Time show and we're now going to be speaking with Tabitha who's going to speak about her lived experience of prison as an Aboriginal woman and, and any other things that she wants to talk about. Hi, Tabitha. Hi. Welcome it's to the program. It's a bit dangerous saying that I could talk about anything I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it's great to have you, Tabitha. We're, we're really we're very honoured to have you, and I've also got Peter joining me in the studio as well. I believe he was your oh, initial you. contact. Yes, yeah. thank you for reaching out. No worries. So the articles went live on in Indigenous X, and yeah. yeah, it's been really kind of great the response I've had from them and the interest that people have, I guess, in you know our issues in terms of um, the criminal justice system. Fantastic. In fact, we were just reading out an article about Debbie Kilroy from Sisters Inside. I'm not sure you would have heard of that organisation. Yeah. 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 And, so, and Vicky Roach. And Vicky Roach as well. Yep, yep. She was ta- we were talking Brilliant about women. domestic violence. Absolutely. So this, this show is, is, is dedicated, actually, to, to Aboriginal women and all women. So, so, Tabitha, I'm wondering if you could just talk about – and you know you're live on air, right? Yes, <laughs> you knew that. So I'm wondering if you could just talk about what land you're from and just give us a little mm-hmm. bit of an intro. Sure. Look, um, my name is Tabitha. I have been born and raised on Ghana land, which is where I sit today. So I acknowledge the elders, past and present, of this country and thank them for letting me um, live and work and study on this land. My family come from the Gunditjmara people in Victoria. Um, that's through my mother's side. But um, I lost my mother when I was a baby, so I was read by my non-Aboriginal father here in Adelaide. So, um, yeah, I'm very grateful for being um, a guest in this country and being allowed to stay and sit within this space. So, yeah. And, and so you're init- originally from another land? Yeah, so my mother was Gunditjmara, so Victoria, so... Um, but I've always lived here, so I haven't got a, um, haven't spent a lot of time in my own country. So I'm very grateful to be able to be facing here. Fantastic, and so this is this is good that you've you've been able to talk about that because a lot of the time, you know, Aboriginal people do not get an opportunity to talk about what land they're on in mainstream media. Mm. Mm. And can you tell us a little bit about? your lived experience of prison and, and maybe talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, so I, um, for a bit of background, I did two years in Adelaide Women's Prison and Adelaide Pre-Release Centre. Prior to going inside, I did six months on home detention and I'm currently on uh, probably my 14th month of home detention post-jail and I was eligible for parole last month, but... As most people listening would know, the criminal justice system works slowly, so I'm still shackled. And even when I am parole, 
on parole, I'll be tethered to the system for quite a few years. So I was um, disappeared into the system um, kind of very quickly. My the prosecutor appealed the sentence that I was given. I attended a hearing and they took me straight to jail. I have three children um, and their father was incarcerated. We were co-accused. Um, so that left my three children without either parent. Thankfully, my dad is around and was able to take care of them. But it meant that I spent quite a bit of time inside and, like I said, prior to that, on home detention. So my experiences as an Aboriginal woman in the system have been what's lit this fire of passion in me to make change. I just wanted to... When I walked out of that place, I kind of had this image of walking out carrying two buckets of water in each hand to put out the fires of the women that left burning in hell there because I think so often we come out of the system and mo- or moving through the system is so traumatic that by the time we get out of it, we don't want to do anything or know about it when we get out. But people are suffering every day inside, particularly our women, Aboriginal women, and I will now spend the rest of my life working to dismantle the system, which will probably be several lifetimes of work, but... We, we cannot be complacent because the reality is this system kills and it kills us disproportionately. So more than 400 of my brothers and sisters have not made it alive out of the criminal justice system and I can't stand by silently and allow that to continue to happen. Absolutely. And what do you think, how do you think colonisation and genocide, um, how, how does that contribute to what's going on in prison for Aboriginal women? Uh, look, absolutely. I, I mean, my view is that the prison system, in fact, the whole carceral system, so everything around it, the policing, the courts, the jails, the home detention, parole board, all of that is a violent colonial frontier for our people. So I believe the system is deliberately set up this way to oppress and subjugate black bodies. It's why we are over-policed in our communities. It's why we have the highest rates of strip searches out by the police. It's why we are incarcerated at a greater rate. We aren't innately criminal people. We are the product of what white people have constructed as deviants. So... Um, our communities are over-policed, we are highly visible and highly criminalised. We, we don't have great services for domestic violence. In fact, the government are cutting Aboriginal services around domestic violence, mental health, and yet a lot of these are the, the issues that we see inside. When I w- went to jail, um, I did not meet a single woman through that entire two-year period that had not suffered at the hands of a man, so be that child, sexual abuse, rape, domestic violence. Every woman in there had a story um, and pain and those things don't go away and the system continues to recolonise us by its ongoing violence against us while we're in there. So it's just... Unless we can radically reimagine justice and... I'd go a little bit further to say we have to also reimagine what we constitute as crime these days. So we're locking up women for drug addiction. You know, illnesses are not a crime. We're locking up Aboriginal women for not being able to pay fines. Poverty should not be a crime. There's so much that needs to change. But unfortunately, like you say, because of colonisation, and I would add capitalism as well, our people will continue to be push through this system and many don't make it out. Exactly. And and in fact, we have to add here also the deaths in custody, like what happened with Auntie Tanya Day. I know she didn't go to prison, yes. but but mm. you know, of course, in Victoria that she was she was taken off a train, don't you? And that there were inquests and she, mm-hmm. she died of a brain injury. Neglect. Absolutely. And that's the thing. We are over-policed. And when I say that, I mean, you know, neighbours calling police on people that might be a bit rowdy in their their next-door neighbours, things like that. People will call the police on us much more than they would call them on their non-Aboriginal neighbours. And the reality for us is contact with the police or the system has the potential to result in violence and death. It's just a reality. How were you criminalised as an Aboriginal woman in prison? Um... I was, at the time of my offending, I was living in a very violent 
marriage um, where I was controlled and manipulated and it, it was an unsafe relationship. I couldn't get any support. The person that I was with was always seen as the nice guy that, you know, kind of took on this, you know, Aboriginal woman with mental health issues and all of these things. So it's a, it was a complicated, I guess mine was a complicated story. Um, and I guess it's probably not useful to go into too much of the specifics. But okay. the reality is that the system is racist. And, I mean, I can give you a very specific example of how... Whatever you feel I comfortable with. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, my case went to trial. Um, so I had a jury of what they say was my peers, which was 12 non-Aboriginal people. One man on the jury rocked up every day to the trial with a different racist T-shirt. But I approached my lawyer and said, look, you've got to get that fella off the jury. He's a racist. Yes. Yeah. My lawyer said to me, oh, no, um, he's probably just a bogan. <laughs> and oh. I was like, mate, I, I've been black my whole life. I can spot a racist when I see one. So it's an, just another example of how within the system, racism and colonisation play a role in, in making sure that we don't have justice, that we don't get a fair go. Absolutely. And, you know... Tabitha, before you actually came onto the show, I was actually reading an article about Vicky Roach, who is a domestic violence survivor, and she mm-hmm. spoke at length um, in Mercury. You should read her article, actually, if you haven't already, mm. about mm. domestic violence. And I think I'm really happy that you were able to speak, like you know, to tell us about mm. what happened to you. Um, so mm. yes, it it is useful. It's important because we need to call people out who are violent, and mm. we also need to call people out who are racist. Wouldn't you agree? Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But well, we don't get a space to say those things. So for me, when I put my hand up and said, I- I'm telling you that there's a problem here, that I was shut down. And that's the thing within the system is that our voices aren't heard, they're erased, or they're minimalised. So... Recently, there was um, an article come out about the two officers in prison who had rather disgustingly and violently played that game of hangman about a disabled Aboriginal person. I'm not sure if you <gasps> saw that. Did you see that? It was, no. it, was, it was terrible. But for me, what was really confronting, obviously that is terrible, but it was the, the outrage from non-Aboriginal people. And what I found most challenging about that is that lived experience mob like myself have been screaming from the rooftops since I've been able to have a voice post-jail about the racism and violence that we experience by the system, by the officers, by other, the other prisoners on a daily basis and no one raises an eyelid. And then all of a sudden they have this proof of these officers doing what was an absolutely disgustingly violent and racist thing. And all of a sudden everyone's going, God, this is, this is terrible. But what the other thing that doesn't happen is no one says, well, then what do we need to do differently? Tell us. Well, look, I mean, I don't even have all the answers. No, of course and, not. And, I mean, people like Debbie and Vicky... Uh, you know, have way more answers than me. But for me, we have to reimagine what justice looks like. I think we have to abolish prisons. It doesn't make sense to set up a society or a community that lives under the threat of being disappeared into cages as some sort of justice. If that worked, our prisons wouldn't be full. I... I just, I don't understand how prison has become considered so normal that people can't imagine life or society or community without it. The reality is for us First Nation mob, we existed before police, jails and court systems and we could totally exist again in that way. What are the answers? I don't know. But one of the things I'm really sick of is being dismissed as naive or an idealist when I say that we have to imagine abolition. I don't say that it's easy or that it is a quick fix. It's definitely long-arm work. But we do need to reinvest in our communities and build our communities. We have to look at why are we underfunding social services and mental health services, drug rehabs, 
and just locking people up. I, it doesn't seem sensible to me. Um, and we need to replace these sort of systems with support and rehab that, foc- that doesn't focus on punishment and government institutionalisation. I mean, just as a society, how can we be OK with 10-year-old kids being locked up in cages. Yeah. So, you know, so when people say to me, when I talk about abolition and they say, oh, you're crazy, you know, what would we do without prisons? Where would you put all those people? I say, well, look, you know, the thing, because they always want to say, well, where would you put all the rapists? And it's like, well, where are you putting the rapists right now? You're putting them in jail. Rape continues to exist in our, in our yeah. society because prison is not a deterrent. No. Nor is it a rehabilitative process. People don't come out rehabilitated, they come out damaged. I mean, the scars of incarceration are significant and people might not see it on my body, but it changes you on a molecular level. And um, you have to be really strong to be able to walk out and keep, keep moving. But what it's done for me is it's made me angry about the system and that was a really positive emotion for me. Like the first 10 months I was inside, I was in a misery bubble. Like I I didn't even raise my head. My hair was always over my eyes and I, I didn't do anything or speak to anyone. And then I started to get angry about what had happened to me in the system, what I was experiencing in jail, what I was seeing happen to my sisters. And it, and for me, then it became productive because I was like, right, that's it. I'm going to get out and I'm going to spend the rest of my life <laughs> ripping down this system brick by brick. And so, you know, I've gone back to uni. I'm doing my master's now and I'm writing and trying to raise awareness. But... For a lot of our women, when they go through the system, they don't find that place of anger. And so they come out and they are sad and detached and some women get quite institutionalised in there and find it difficult to adjust to the outside world. Or there are women who just keep coming back within the system time and time again because there is no other sort of alternatives for them. And the reality is, as well, about the system is it's an industry now. The only way that prisons are able to be sold to private companies is if there's a a promise of a profit. And the only way to make a profit is for repeat customers. So they need people to come back to jail. They need recidivism to build an industry. And I, I just... I can't fathom how people are okay about making money off the backs of this sort of level of dysfunction and misery. Yeah. Absolutely, and 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 what do you? Th- how do you think occupied territory plays a role with prisons? Mm, about the space that they're sitting on. Mm. Mm. Look, I don't, um, I don't know that I can give you a really articulate response on that. That's but okay. I, I am very conscious. I was very conscious that when I was in prison, that I was on land that was never ceded it was stolen land and I thought the real irony of that thank you was that I was in jail for stealing when white man has stolen my people for 232 years and for me that that's when I started to get angry I started to feel this of like you have built this cage on land you have stolen to house people who you say have stolen from you you know that's nonsensical it's just it's indeed. disgusting. Yeah, indeed yeah. it is, and and I and I think that you know on this show, there's no judgment. It doesn't matter what what people are in for. Mm. We we don't really ask questions like that on this show unless people mm. want to volunteer mm. it because it's not really about what people have done or what people are in for. It's about looking at the lived experience of prison and looking yeah. at the fact that you know people in prison, women, and you know all people that have gone to prison, and, and women in particular have, have gone through in there for offences, so-called offences, that are not even serious, mm, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, um, uh, I, I'm i one of those people that I never introduce myself as sort of a non-violent offender because no. I don't think that there is any reason to set myself no, apart no. from um, other women in there. And you can't so- categorise it. Yeah. No, and and I think, like you said, it doesn't actually matter what has brought... It, no. It shouldn't matter what's brought you to there. It's the experience that you've had while you're there, the lead-up to it, and, and what your life looks like when you're on the outside. But 
the reality is there is not a lot of support provided to women while they're inside or opportunities for rehabilitation and there's definitely no support when you come out. I think re-entry for me after only two years, although I say only two years, two years is a long time, but I think of people who've done 5, 10, 20, re-entry was much harder than I anticipated and I was surprised at how much I struggled coming out. Um, and I, I think I'm really lucky that I have my dad still around. Yeah. My dad lives quite a fair way away from me, but if I didn't have someone there to keep me grounded and someone at the other end of the phone, I can see how easily it is for women to go back inside. Yeah, that, that's right. And and in fact, you know, in many ways, it's seven and eighty-eight all over again. You, you're looking if you look back over history, mm. wouldn't you agree mm. that you know Australia was in many ways a concentration camp, um, who were trying to kill off Aboriginal people with the massacres and mm. you know the 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 extreme military and the police powers. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, I mean, especially with the um, COVID-19 thing, I've been saying to everyone, if you want to learn anything from us, mob, it's don't take flour from the government. Um, you know, we we live in a country that basically our existence is considered resistance. So anything we do, any time we speak up or speak out about the system, we are penalised. Uh, recently, after... Um, the police shooting in Yondamu, there was a, a sort of a gathering in Ghana country and there probably was around the country, I suspect. Police actually attended that and were filming all of us as protesters attending. So even when Aboriginal people come and they participate in the so-called democratic process of this country, we are policed. We are policed for everything we say. I have no doubt that the fact that my parole has been deferred is everything to do with the fact that I've been speaking out in a very public way in the media about the system and the way it's treating Aboriginal people. I am fully compliant with their conditions. I'm productive. I'm at uni. I'm doing freelance running, so I'm working. I look after my kids, but my parole was still deferred for absolutely no reason. And that's the thing for Aboriginal people is even when we do what people want us to do, the white man says, we are still criminalised or constructed as being deviant somehow. And I just, it makes me worry for our children is, you know, are they going to be having to continually fight to be out and proud as, as black people in the future? I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Mm. Mm. I'm hoping actually that you write a book one day. Oh my god, no! Probably not. But I write a lot of poetry, and um, good. I, yeah, I'm, that's right. Yeah. Well, before um, I, I've always loved writing, and it was my thing. And then when I went to jail, I just everything shut down. And as I said, about the ten month mark, like the words just started coming back to me, and they were like a big mob of yuckety flying about in my brain until I could let them out and then once I uncaged the birds that were flying around in my head it was like I was uncaged and now I can write and I'm just hoping that by sharing my story and speaking out that it helps other women who are stuck in this system and you know and as us as a community as well how do we break out of this and survive it because I I hate the fact that our people are dying at the hands of this system. And as you say, it's not necessarily just about jail. No. It's, which we've learned from recent deaths in custody cases, it's about the whole system that feeds the prison industrial complex. And unless we start to pull down all of that, we, our people are not safe. When I went to prison, the first day I went there, I was crying. I, was, I mean, I was separated from my family, so I was devastated. But the thing I was actually scared about, because I knew all about death and custody as an Aboriginal person, I didn't actually think I'd come out of the system alive. So I remember that first night thinking, this is it, Tabs. You know, you're not going to make it out of this place alive. And I think how horrible is that for our people to go through that all the time? Women tell me that when their kids are taken from communities and put into custody, that they go into a stage of mourning because they don't believe that their kids will come back alive. And I, that, that hurts, that hits deep. 
Absolutely, and I'm so glad that you've made that point. It's approximately 4.54. We've got about three minutes left, so we, we better finish soon. Um, I'm hoping that you'll be able to listen to our podcast of your interview when it comes out, and we can let you know about that if you like. Oh, Wendy, I'll probably be too shame and be like, oh, true, you, you sounded terrible. <laughs> no shame, no shame. Oh, w- women right, yeah. women are, are always featured very strongly on this show, don't you worry, mm, Tabitha. Mm. It was so great to have you and I hope you didn't find this too intrusive. I hope that you felt comfortable. No, no, thank you. And thank you for giving us a chance to talk about our experiences. I think it's really important. And if we're going to change things going forward, we have to be able to speak up where we feel comfortable. So having avenues like this is is really important. So thank you. Thank you so much. And, yeah, today's show is Women's Space and we've dedicated this show to Aboriginal women and, indeed, all women. Thank you so much, Tabitha. I hope you can come back again soon. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Take care. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Tabitha. And Tabitha spoke about her lived experience of prison as an Aboriginal woman, and we talked a lot about that. And the thing that I found interesting when she said, never take flour from the government. Oh, oh that was me. Yeah. So um, it's approximately 4.55. We've got about two minutes left before we're out of here. No, we've got five minutes. Oh, my, my clock must be fast. You quite sure? 4.55, yeah. 4.55. Okay. Oh, we've got about that. Anyway, um, and so we're going to be going out pretty soon with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella, from the Rumpy Band. And we've got Beyond Zero up next. So thank you so much to Tabitha for coming onto the show. And we'll be having our podcast out pretty soon as well. Now, just very quickly, um, I wanted to actually draw the attention of listeners to um, that women inside a Darwin prison have released a podcast about their lives and, yeah, Tace went to prison when she was 26 and the source is Beehole SBS News um, and Bird's Eye View features the stories of 18 women who have been incarcerated in Australia's top end. Here two of them speak to SBS News about why it matters that their stories will be heard. So it's really important. Try and, try and get into that Um they're out that now. Podcast. They're Good out point. now. They yeah. are, aren't they, Peter? Yeah. Or, Iris, who does a show, a queer show. Oh, um, yes. Queering the Air. Queering the Air. She spoke about it. Iris, um, a shout out to Iris. She does wonderful work with Queering the Air and she's she's got a special interest in prison. In fact, she was very generous in um, helping to record a panel for our show some years ago for Undercurrents. So thank you again, Iris, for that. Uh, we better get out of here. Yeah, we better yeah. get out of here. Beyond Zero up next. Stay safe. Look after each other. Um uh, and four to five every Monday for the Doing Time show. Bye. Bye. Hello.